Thanks for listening to The Vine's podcast. The Vine is a church in Austin, Texas, with the simple goal of following Jesus together. And we hope this message helps you in doing just that. My name is Christy Rome, and today's scripture reading is from John 10, verses 1 through 18. Very truly I tell you, Pharisees, anyone who does not enter the sheep pen by the gate, but climbs in by some other way, is a thief and a robber. The one who enters by the gate is the shepherd of the sheep. The gatekeeper opens the gate for him, and the sheep listen to his voice. He calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought out all his own, he goes on ahead of them, and his sheep follow him because they know his voice. But they will never follow a stranger. In fact, they will run away from him because they do not recognize a stranger's voice. Jesus used this figure of speech, but the Pharisees did not understand what he was telling them. Therefore, Jesus said again, very truly, I tell you, I am the gate for the sheep. All who have come before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep have not listened to them. I am the gate. Whoever enters through me will be saved. They will come in and go out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. The hired hand is not the shepherd and does not own the sheep. So when he sees the wolf coming, he abandons the sheep and runs away. Then the wolf attacks the flock and scatters it. The man runs away because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep and my sheep know me. Just as the father knows me and I know the father and I lay down my life for the sheep. I have other sheep that are not of this sheep pen. I must bring them also. They too will listen to my voice, and there shall be one flock and one shepherd. The reason my father loves me is that I lay down my life, only to take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down and authority to take it up again. This command I received from my father. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Hello, Vine community. It is so good to be with you on this Sunday. You know, this Sunday is actually our second to last Sunday in this series in the Gospel of John. This is day 35. Isn't that awesome? For 35 days, we as a church have been pressing into God's Word, wanting to experience Jesus in this Gospel and asking Christ to teach us how to follow Him in our life. I hope and pray it's been a meaningful experience for you. I know it has been for me. It's been good to have just a rhythm of being in God's Word and doing it in community. You know, as we were planning out our sermons and our messages uh, on our calendar, I was planning on uh, sharing a message from a reading we just got done reading as a a church community. But my mind has kept going back to John 10. It keeps going back there because Jesus makes some incredible promises. It keeps going back there because the imagery that Jesus is, uh, is using to describe who he is. But it's also, I keep going back there because when I read it for the first time, I was stopped with a question. 
So today I want to just share a message with just two points. One is why did Jesus uh, use the imagery of being a good shepherd? And then secondly, the question that I will stop with is how can we hear Jesus's voice? And what ways can we foster an ability to listen and to hear Jesus speak to us? And that's what we're going to talk about today. So let's jump in. So in the section we just heard, Jesus is making two different I am statements. I am a good shepherd. I am a gate. And it's important for us to remember what Jesus is doing. He's actually doing something quite daring. He is taking the most sacred name for God that Israel had, Yahweh, uh, which means I am who I am. And Jesus is taking that sacred name and filling in the blank. This is what Jesus does over and over again in the Gospel of John. He is making this courageous claim that I am in the Father, with the Father, we are one. If you want to know who God is like, watch me, look at me, see how I live, and in doing so, you will see who God is. So what Jesus is saying here is, who God is, in a word, is God is Jesus-like. It's like me. <laughs> that is the claim that Jesus is making. So here in this passage, he's filling in the blank of I am who I am by saying, if you want to know who God is, if you want to know what I am doing here, imagine a good shepherd. Imagine a good shepherd. And then Jesus begins to expand on what a good shepherd does. And first off, a good shepherd is intimately acquainted with the sheep. In verse 3, he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. I love that notion that a shepherd actually names the sheep. Because what that tells us, the shepherd actually knows each one. You know, an untrained eye, someone who hasn't walked with the herd as long as a shepherd has, probably it would be impossible to tell one sheep from another, but not a good shepherd. A good shepherd has spent the time to actually know each one, each markings that make that sheep unique. He knows also their needs, which, which sheep is prone to wander, which one is the one that's most easily frightened, which one's the oldest that might need help get, getting over the rocky places. This is what a good shepherd does. He knows each sheep and calls them by name. Christ knows you. The good shepherd knows you inside and out, and he knows your needs. And he wants to walk with you, provide for you exactly in the way that you are. You are not one in a million to Christ, the good shepherd. You are one. One whom Jesus is mindful of and cares for deeply. This is the good shepherd. But Jesus, the good shepherd, also is like a gate. Isn't that interesting? I mean, like an editor would probably say, hey, or just stick with one uh, imagery, with one analogy, but Jesus is doing something that might be uh, not obvious to us. In the Near East, well, oftentimes what would happen at nighttime, uh, the shepherd would gather all of the, sh the sheep together and they would, would build fencing to have them to create a pen. And, but the, the shepherd would actually leave that little opening for the sheep to come in and out. And at nighttime, the shepherd actually would lay down like and physically would become the gate so that if a predator came in the middle of the night, the sheep's natural instinct would be to run out 
And this would alert the Good Shepherd, not only that there was a problem, but also to make sure that the flock stayed together and that the shepherd could fight whatever was coming in, trying to steal the sheep away. You know, uh, Jesus, he's a protector. He's a defender. He's one, he wants to create a place of refuge and rest for us. This is what this makes me think of verse 11. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for his sheep. That's who Jesus is. He's more than a shepherd who just knows the sheep. The good shepherd is self-sacrificing. He's willing to lay down his life when danger is present to ensure that life is preserved. That is who Jesus is. The hired hands, they wouldn't do that. They're just there for the paycheck, but not a good shepherd. A good shepherd knows the flock, cares for the flock, and is willing to lay down his life so that the flock would be preserved. Jesus is especially with us in times of trouble. When danger is present, Jesus is there ready to lay down his life so that we could find life. Obviously, this is what Jesus did when he laid down himself upon the cross. That good shepherd walked with us through all of our life experiences so that we could be led even into death so that we can find life again. This is so clearly said in John 10.10, which has been a verse that has marked my own spiritual journey. John 10.10 says, The thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. Jesus came to lay down his life so that we could receive life and life to the fullest. You know, the reason why this verse has been so meaningful for me in my own spiritual journey is that I used to think that following Jesus meant that I was going to have to sacrifice joy and delight. Like if I'm going to follow Jesus, I'm going to have to say no to a lot of awesome things that this world has to offer. And in fact, what Jesus is saying here is that no, 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 you don't miss out on anything. I have come so that you could be fully alive, that you could discover how to be fully alive. You know, Jesus is not into this to develop some penny loafer wearing Christians that are half alive, moral and good, but just half alive. Jesus came to give us life to the full. The good shepherd came to walk us into joy and significance, into a sense of adventure and purpose with deep, with a deep sense of peace. This is why Jesus came. You want to know what it's like to be fully alive without any regret, without any sort of despair of what could have been? Follow me and I'll show you that way. Even that root word, the, to the fullest, uh, that root word is, uh, is most commonly translated beyond. I'm going to give you life and life beyond whatever you could think or ask or imagine. This is why I came. Yes. We love that part of John 10.10. But there's another promise in John 10.10. And what that promise is, is that there is also an enemy. There's an enemy that is, that is out there to steal, to kill, and destroy life. If Jesus came to give us life to the fullest, the enemy's goal is to, is to steal, kill, and destroy, to minimize life, to take it from us. Man, we, we love the, the part of Jesus giving life to the full. We love that promise, but man, we really truncate that verse 
and neglect that other part of that promise. What is up with that? You know, in 1995, a, a movie came out called The Usual Suspects. And there was a line in that movie that just always stuck with me. It was almost like a side comment while someone's being interrogated. And here it is. This is the line. The greatest trick the devil ever pulled was convincing the world he didn't exist. I remember hearing that line and just thinking, oh, that's the genius of the enemy. Because if, if we don't live with a sense of awareness that there is evil at work in this world, then we won't be on guard. We, we won't be fully attentive. We won't to seek to look at where is their life being stolen in our midst. How can we fight for life to the full? How can we protect uh, the people who are most vulnerable? I mean, that's the genius of the enemy. But the interesting thing is, for those who have traveled um, outside of America, that perspective is really unique to the West, especially to Americans. Because when you travel the world, especially in, in, in developing nations, spiritual warfare is just a part of life. Like it, it's just assumable that it's there, but not in our society. Why? Well, I think maybe it's because we're just kind of lulled with our comforts. Maybe it's we're a little bit arrogant thinking we know better. Or maybe that the enemy knows that I don't have to be obvious. All the attacks that we experience are always underneath the veil, subtle, not obvious. But wherever life is being stolen, killed, or destroyed, the enemy is at work there. Every time that the image of God is taken down and destroyed, the thief is at work. Through the ravages of addiction, through the oppressive hand of racism, through the obvious polarizing contempt that, that is our society with just the hatred that's just bubbling all around us. We know that the enemy is at work through our indifference and apathetic care for the vulnerable and the poor. It's just the enemy is, is succeeding wherever that's taking place, stealing life, killing it, destroying it. But Jesus came to wake us up. Jesus came as a good shepherd to wake us up protect us and fight for us. And the way that Jesus fought for us most was through laying down his own life. Verse 17 and 18 said, the reason my father loves me is that I lay down my life only to take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. Jesus is saying, I'm laying down my life. I'm choosing to do it to provide you life. Now, what joy should that produce in us? That we get to claim that kind of hope and peace that we have in Jesus. That Jesus knows us by name. He leads us to life and he's laying down his life in this great transference so that we can have life. Man, we get to claim that. But Jesus is always surprising. And he said this in verse 16. I have other sheep that are not of this sheep pen. I must bring them also. They too will listen to my voice, and there shall be one flock and one shepherd. Jesus is trying to expand their view of what he's up to. Like, I think Jesus is warning them, like, hey, I'm not just coming for you. I got bigger plans than that. You know, because it's human nature, quite honestly, for us to construct uh, ways to separate who is in and who is out. 
Like who's for us and who's against us? Who's on the right side and who's on the wrong side? And to be honest, sometimes we can co-opt the church and the gospel to try to divide people up too. What Jesus is doing here, he is doing what he often does, dismantling the pins that we have constructed of who gets in and who's kicked out. I love that about Jesus. Jesus, if you watch him as we've seen in the Gospel of John, he upsets a lot of people because he ignores who's in and who's out. Who should deserve this kind of relationship? Who, who should be, have access and who shouldn't? And Jesus just ignores it. Why? Because he's going after that flock. He's going after that group. And not only is that they can know him and that they can know him, but that one day they will all become one flock with one shepherd. That is who Jesus is. Jesus has a cosmic goal, like a universal goal, so that all could be invited into this life that all could experience the purpose of him laying down his life and that they could enter into the gate that is only and will only be Jesus. That is his goal. The work of Christ is so much grander than what we oftentimes expect. But the question is for us, maybe the question for you today is, do you know him? Like, do you intimately know him? Especially, do you recognize his voice? So when I came to this scripture passage, I actually, you know, I was stopped by that question. When Jesus is saying, you know, I'm a good shepherd, my sheep know me, they know my voice. I really sat there and thought, do I actually recognize Jesus's voice? Like when he speaks, do I actually know it's him? You know, it made me think of a memory that took place, you know, two decades ago. That's crazy, it's been that long. But I used to work at a summer camp and um, came really close with the camp director, his name was Kevin. And Kevin had a dog, like a little puny, almost little nasty dog, perfectly named Buddy. And uh, Buddy was a great camp dog. And uh, one night, Kevin, we all were gathered in the auditorium, and Kevin decided to do a little experiment. The experiment was someone was going to let Buddy in the back of the auditorium, and everyone was going to try, without moving, going to try to get Buddy to come to them. And so the door opened up, Buddy came in, and you know, 100 plus people calling out his name, come here, buddy, come here. And, you know, Buddy did not know what to do with that unusual amount of attention. So he just ran around so happy and excited. And in the midst of the flurry and the noise of everyone saying his name, Kevin and the other side of the room just simply said, hey, Buddy. And immediately this dog's ears perked up. His head looked over and found, found Kevin, did a beeline straight to him, jumped on his lap. And all Kevin said was, Buddy knows my voice. And I've been thinking about that. Just this idea of like in the midst of the noise of running around in the flurry of our life, can I actually have such an attention uh, and awareness that when Jesus speaks, I'm ready. I'm ready to find him. Like I'm actually listening for him. You know, as much as we might talk about hearing God's voice, I, you know, it's, that's a difficult thing to figure out. It takes practice. So I just want to share a couple ways in which we can be people who can learn Christ's voice together. The first way is through Scripture. So as a church, we truly value planning our lives in God's Word. and We believe that God speaks to us 
through this ancient, complex set of letters and documents, all of them, but they, God's still speaking to us here and now in 2020 in this context. That's the most amazing thing that about, about the Bible is it's so relevant for us today. And for us, when we read scripture, we need to read it differently than we would read any other type of uh, document or newspaper or whatever. Because as we are reading, we should be uh, constantly asking the question, God, what are you trying to say to me today? Like, what are you, what are you trying to speak to me today? You know, this, remi- this reminds me of in Hebrews 4, uh, it's written, For the word of God is alive and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. What the author of Hebrews is saying here is that that's the scriptures are not just some fixed static document, but it's actually active and it's alive. It's doing stuff here and now. In, in this, even in that passage, it's saying like it cracks us open. It judges us. It illuminates us. Like it, it, it actually reveals what's going on inside. So as we are reading scripture, we are processing that. We're inviting God, I want, I want, I want you to speak to me today. That's why for me, when I was reading in this daily reading plan, this is why I was stopped when I read that passage. It's because for me, what I got from the Lord that day was a question. Mark, do you actually listen? You actually listen to my voice? And if I speak, would you actually pay attention? That's the gift of scripture. But there are times where God does move us with what I call inner promptings. So there are times where we just feel prompted. We feel prompted either to say something or do something. We feel prompted uh, as if God's speaking to us, just kind of just giving us instruction. And we don't like that necessarily because we don't know, like, is that really God? Or is that, you know, like my third unnecessary cup of coffee I had this morning? Like, what is it? Well, I would say that what we need to do in those moments is we need to test them. We need to test them and like look at the fruit of what that would be bring that prompting if we actually received it as from God what like where would that lead us John 10 10 is a great test for us so John 10 10 again Jesus comes to give us life but there's an enemy that wants to bring about death and and to steal death and destroy it so does this prompting I have is does it feel like it's leading me towards life or does it feel like it's leading me towards death like is it actually expanding my my capacity uh, for faith and for courage and for joy and for hope? Or does it feel like that's kind of getting shut down? You know, I personally have spent way too much of my life thinking that the way that God spoke to me was through shame. Like God has this primary communication to me was just me feeling awful about myself. Like me just self-loathing, feeling awful like almost like I just needed my my nose shoved in my mistakes and and I would leave those kind of feelings and think man I just just feeling small and weak a fraud and I thought that was God I thought that's how God spoke that's not the good shepherd that's not leading me to life it's taken a lot of work to to hear those words and go man that is not from Jesus you know the actual word for Satan literally means accuser and he's great at accusing us to to bring us away from life 
to isolate us from the rest of the flocks, that we can be alone and that we can experience how life is so easily destroyed and stolen. That's not the way of Jesus. So the voice of God will lead us to life. Now, this does not mean that we'll never experience conviction. But you know what? We are not our sin. That Jesus, the good shepherd, he picks us up and carries us back to where we need to be. So there are times where, where the good shepherd might lead us into difficult places, but we won't be left there. So we need to uh, begin to ask the question, is what I'm experiencing, the, the promptings I'm experiencing, is this consistent with who I see God in Jesus? Is it consistent with God's word? And if it is so, then my encouragement is to go for it, to try it out. Because oftentimes we don't learn to trust those promptings until we actually go and do it. So we have scripture, we have inner promptings. And the third, and I think the most important thing for us, is we need to learn to listen. So I wanted to leave the most difficult practice for the end, because I also think it's the most important one. That as followers of Jesus, we need to learn to listen for him. Now, what I don't mean is like to wait for him to speak audibly, although some people have had that experience. I haven't. What I'm talking about is a posture of attentiveness, an ever-present posture of being aware that Christ is here with me. It's like this ability to acknowledge that Jesus is with me and I'm going to be present to him. I'm going to listen for Jesus even in this moment. I find that belief and faith is so compelling to Jesus as we find that this is the reason why John wrote the gospel, so that we might believe. And Jesus, as, he, as we see him in the gospel of John, over and over again, he's pleading for people to believe in him. Believe in me. Believe in the one the Father has sent. He continues to say that over and over again. I think he's compelled to it. He's drawn to it. So I believe in our life that uh, practicing listening for Jesus in the everyday moments of our life is one of the greatest ways that we could express our faith and our belief in Jesus. I'm not saying this is easy, especially due to the, the chaos, the hurry that we live in, the noise that surrounds our life, uh, the pace that deadens our, our ears and our hearts. I think it's, it's a challenge. That's why it's called a practice. And according to Henry Nouwen, he said this, listening is a hard discipline since God's presence is often a hidden presence. A presence that needs to be discovered. The loud, boisterous noises of this world make us deaf to the soft, gentle, and loving voice of God. What Nouwen is saying is that this voice usually needs to be discovered. Like it most commonly won't be just stumbled upon. We shouldn't just expect to be interrupted by it, but we actually have to discover the voice of God. This past week, I had an experience where um, I spent four days canoeing down the Devil's River. The Devil River is one of the most rugged parts of Texas, so remote. It's like the ultimate form of social distancing. You're in the middle of nowhere. And what I noticed is not once did I instinctively reach out for my phone. Like not once did I, was I just curious to see what the news cycle was churning out or what the pundits were spinning. No, instead, I found that there was just room, and that room made me attentive. It made me attentive to, 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 to hear the mountain goat on the sheer cliff a thousand feet above the river calling out for its mother. It made me, gave me space to actually hear the splashing of a bass mocking my lack of fishing skills. 
there's enough distance with the city lights that in the middle of the night, sleeping out underneath the stars, you're afraid to look up because you know if you do, you're going to be jarred awake by all of its beauty. And all of those things are just there. But for me, when I came back, I just came right back to it. And that room that I experienced was just dwindling away. So the question is, if God's voice usually needs to be discovered and not stumbled upon, how are we creating room and space in our life to actually listen for God? Or do we even ask God, God, I want to hear from you today. I need, I need to hear from you today. Like, are we even asking that? We must learn to listen through the clutter. A.W. Tozer, he shares a great instruction. Never let your mind remain scattered for very long. Call home your roving thoughts. Gaze on Christ with the eyes of the soul. A follower of Jesus should develop this learned ability to have our thoughts return to Jesus more commonly, more quickly. Like for us, this is what Tozer calls spiritual concentration. It's this concentration that wherever I go, Jesus is here with me and he wants to lead me. So I need to learn to listen. I believe learning to listen in that way is more important than any other different type of prayer. Because Jesus, he sees you and out out of his love for you, you are the object of his attention and affection. And out of receiving and experiencing that love, we learn to give Jesus the same. He becomes the object of our attention and our affection. And it is in that type of mindful living that we begin to to be able to hear Jesus' prompting, to experience his directions and his shepherding, because he wants to lead us all throughout our days. We should not just quarantine listening to Jesus to our sacred or religious hours whether it be at church or in your prayer time. No, Christ wants to lead you throughout all of your life. Placing Jesus in the room with you wherever you go is so incredibly important because he wants to shepherd you through conflicts. He wants to walk with you as you stroll through your neighborhood. He wants to be in the room with you when you tuck in your kid or you FaceTime that old friend. We need to learn to... Uh, to cultivate an ability to hear and listen to Jesus. A life as a follower of Jesus is learning to keep company with him. In this season of life, you need to know that the good shepherd is with you. He's not like the hired hand who splits when things get difficult. No, Jesus is actually more uniquely present with you in moments like this because he wants you to know his voice and follow him through this moment. So may we learn to trust in the voice of Christ. May we learn to be attentive to him. And may we remember that he has laid down his life so that you can experience life to the full.